Welcome back to Gnostic Insights. My name is Dr. Sid Ropp, and I'm your host. back to Gnostic Insights. I can't tell you how glad I am that you're along on this journey with me. There aren't that many of us exploring this type of deep, true gnosis. And so it's very special that you're interested in this material, and I appreciate you so much. Today we're going to look at one of the appendix articles out of my next book, A Simple Explanation of the Gnostic Gospel. And this episode is called Pleromas. Pleroma is a common word in Gnostic scriptures, and it has a particular meaning that only relates to the Gnostic Gospels. In fact, we Gnostics are expecting to wind up at the end of days occupying a pleroma that others usually call heaven. Pleroma is a Greek word for, quote, all that which is contained within a body or organization. End quote. The pleroma of the fullness of God is the pleroma we most often refer to in connection with Gnosticism. The pleroma of the fullness of God is the sum total of all the individual characteristics and powers of the originating consciousness of the Father as manifested in the monad known as the Son. Here's how the pleroma of the fullness is described in the Tripartite Tractate. Quote, Each one of the eons is a name, that is, each of the properties and powers of the Father, since he exists in many names, which are intermingled and harmonious with one another. It is possible to speak of him because of the wealth of speech, just as the Father is a single name because he is a unity, yet is innumerable in his properties and names. End quote. And this week I'm going to dispense with giving you the verse citations because I think it breaks up the narration too much. However, when you get the book, you'll have the complete citations of how you can find all of these verses. The first differentiation of the properties of the sun is known as the all or the totalities. My illustrations represent the pleroma of the all as a central star with rays going out in all directions yet unified and without personal identity within the single body and will of the Son, S-O-N. When the totalities of the all become self-aware, they name themselves and sort themselves into the pleroma of the hierarchy of the fullness of God. This first sorting of the totalities of the all shows us that everyone is an individual with unique qualities. Sorting is a way of describing this individuality of self-awareness, because every eon occupies a different position and duty in the overall arrangement. Quote, The aeon of the truth, since it is a unity and multiplicity, receives honor in the small and the great names 
according to the power of each to grasp it, by way of analogy like a spring, which is what it is, yet flows into streams and lakes and canals and branches, or like a root spread out beneath trees and branches with its fruit, or like a human body, which is partitioned in an invisible way into members of members, primary members and secondary, great and small. End quote. My illustration of the pleroma of the fullness of God looks like a pyramidal stack of golden cannonballs. This is because the pleroma of the fullness is sorted into a hierarchy, and hierarchies look like pyramids, giving rise to the maxim of the higher, the fewer. The passage above explains that the Holy Spirit that flows through the pleroma of the fullness branches into fractal patterns that resemble the pattern of springs, streams, and rivers, or like roots and branches of trees, or like the members of our bodies, primary and secondary, cells and organs, fingers and hands. In other words, the eon of the truth, which is another word for the pleroma of the sun, exhibits a pattern that is both hierarchical and fractal. Once the all became self-aware, the resulting eons of the fullness were able to give glory to the Father from their independent self-identities and wills. They gave glory in all possible combinations, producing more and more members of the fullness. Finally, the eons of the fullness gave glory all together from the fullness of their pleroma and produced the final eon that represented all of them. Quote, this eon was last to have been brought forth by mutual assistance, and he was small in magnitude. End quote. This final eon is known as Logos, and his pleroma is a fractal replica of the entire fullness of God. My illustrations represent Logos as a smaller copy of the fullness sitting on top of the hierarchy. Quote, this eon is a wise fruit, for the free will which was begotten with the totalities was a cause for this one, such as to make him do what he desired, with no one to restrain him. And before he begot anything else for the glory of the will and in agreement with the totalities, he acted magnanimously from an abundant love and set out toward that which surrounds the perfect glory." End quote. Along with self-awareness came individual identities that we refer to as ego. The ego of Logos used his free will to lead the pleroma of the fullness, and Logos fell out of harmony with the other eons. The result is our apparently material world. Quote, The Logos himself caused it to happen, being complete and unitary for the glory of the Father, whom he desired and he did so being content with it. But those whom he wished to take hold of firmly, he begot in shadows and copies and likenesses. Out of this there was a division. He became deeply troubled, and a turning away because of his self-doubt and division, forgetfulness, and ignorance of himself and of that which is. End quote. Logos turned away from his unrestrained ego and fled back to his home within the pleroma of the fullness. The abandoned shadows, 
copies and likenesses of the smaller Pleroma of Logos, were separated from the hierarchical pattern of the fullnesses and scattered willy-nilly throughout the cosmos. Quote, Those who had come into being not knowing themselves both did not know the Pleromas from which they came forth and did not know the one who was the cause of their existence. Like the Pleromas are the things which come into being from the arrogant thought, which are there, that is the Pleromas, likenesses, copies, shadows, and phantasms, lacking reason and light, these which belong to the vain thought, since they are not products of anything. The abandoned ego of Logos sought to bring order to the chaos. This ego is called the Demiurge, and by its hand our cosmos is created. The Demiurge does not recognize the pleromas of Logos or the fullness. It thinks it originated by itself. Quote, The things which he has spoken he does. When he saw that they were great and good and wonderful, he was pleased and rejoiced, as if he himself, in his own thought, had been the one to say them and to do them, not knowing that the movement within him is from the spirit who moves him in a determined way toward those things which he wants. End quote. The Demiurge was able to bring order to the cosmos because Logos assists him without his knowledge. The Pleroma of the Demiurge is composed of, quote, likenesses, copies, shadows, and phantasms, lacking reason and the light. Therefore, their end will be like their beginning. From that which they did not exist, they are to return once again to that which will not be, end quote. The Pleroma of the Demiurge possesses imitations of the original glory of the eons. Quote, they are like likenesses of the things which are exalted. They were brought to a lust for power in each one of them, according to the greatness of the name of which it is a shadow, each one imagining that it is superior to his fellows. End quote. We living creatures do not arise from the pleroma of the Demiurge. All living creatures on earth proceed out of the pleroma of Logos after his return from the fall. We second-order powers were created through the totalities of the original fullness, giving glory to the Father alongside Logos. Together, they prayed with an intention to send life into the fallen world below. We came forth as fruit from the Pleroma of Logos, and the Pleroma of Logos was itself a fractal of the fullness of God. We are called second-order powers to distinguish us from the first-order powers, the eons of the fullness, out of which we are fractal iterations twice removed. Quote, All the spiritual places are in spiritual power, end quote, referring to the Pleromas above, Quoting again, they are separate from the beings of the thought, that is, we second-order powers are those beings of the thought, since the power is established in an image, which is that which separates the pleroma from the logos, end quote. In other words, power flows from the original eons of the fullness of God. It does not arise out of the pleroma of logos. Quoting again, 
while the power which is active in prophesying about the things which will be directs the beings of the thought which have come into being, again, that's us, toward that which is preexistent, and it does not permit them, or us, to mix with the things which have come into being through a vision of the things which are with him, end quote. Meaning, the spirit of prophecy impels us upward while holding us apart from the original images. Quote, the beings of the thought which is outside are humble. They preserve the representation of the pluramatic, especially because of the sharing in the names by which they are beautiful. End quote. Which is a very lovely way of saying that we second-order powers share the names and faces of the eons of the fullness, and because of that, we are beautiful. Quote, to those who belong to the remembrance, however, he revealed the thought of which he had stripped himself with the intention that it should draw them into a communion with the material. This was in order to provide them with a structure and a dwelling place. End quote. The pleroma of all living creatures is the sum total of the pleroma of the demiurge, our material or hylic part that makes up our physical bodies, plus the pleroma of Logos after his return to the fullness when he prayed alongside the eons to bring life to the deficiency he had caused. Our pleroma is our body. My pleroma starts with a single stem cell imbued with the emanation of the Holy Spirit and the fractal design of my body, given to me by Logos and the fullnesses, wedded to the pleroma of the demiurge's material. Our second-order nature is good and, quote, greater than those of the likeness, for those belonging to the likeness also belong to a nature of falsehood, end quote. Those belonging to the likeness are imitations of the eons, lacking their depth, powers, and nature. They are not fractals of the eon of truth. And, while we come from the good thought, we tend to forget our true nature due to the law of mutual combat arising from this never-ending war against the imitations of the deficiency. Thus we have forgotten our true self and need to remember. The vehicle for our remembrance and redemption is Christ and the third-order powers within the pleroma of Christ. Quote, The order which was his, and that was the pleroma of Christ, came into being from him who ran on high, and that which brought itself forth from him, and from the entire perfection. The one who ran on high, that is the self of Logos that was the Son, became for the one who was defective, that's the demiurge, an intercessor with the emanation of the eons, which had come into being in accord with the things which exist. End quote. That's, we second-order powers are emanations of that which exists above. And because of the fractal nature of creation, the mechanism for redemption of the demiurge is the same mechanism for our redemption as well. Quote, when he prayed to them, that is the eons of the fullness, they consented joyously and willingly, since they were in agreement and with harmonious consent to aid the defective one. They gathered together, asking the Father with beneficent intent that there be aid from above, from the Father, for his glory, since the defective one could not become perfect in any other way, 
unless it was the will of the pleroma of the Father, which he had drawn to himself, revealed, and given to the defective one. Then from the harmony, in a joyous willingness, which had come into being, they brought forth the fruit, that is, the Christ, which was a begetting from the harmony, a unity, a possession of the totalities, revealing the countenance of the Father, of whom the eons thought as they gave glory and prayed for help for their brother, with a wish in which the Father counted himself with them. Thus it was willingly and gladly that they bring forth the fruit. End quote. The Gnostic Gospel says that Christ arose after the creation of us second-order powers. This is a departure from the way Christ is imagined in traditional Christian theology. In mainstream Christianity, Christ is conflated with the Son and sometimes with Logos, the Word, as in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, end quote. The Gnostic Gospel says that Christ was the product of the fullness and the Father as a response to the consequences of the fall. Quote, Not only did the eons generate the countenance of the Father to whom they gave praise, which was written previously, but also they generated their own. For the eons who give glory generated their countenance and their face. They were produced as an army for him, as for a king since the beings of the thought have a powerful fellowship and an intermingled harmony. They came forth in a multifaceted form, in order that the one to whom help was to be given might see those to whom he had prayed for help. He also sees the one who gave it to him. End quote. The Pleroma of Christ possesses fractals of all the other Pleromas and powers. The Pleroma of the Christ is the Pleroma of Logos, plus the Pleroma of the Fullness, plus the Monad of the Son, who is the countenance of the Father, all together offering glory to the Father and praying for full salvation and restoration of the Demiurge to Logos, and we second-order powers as well. And by our redemption, the All is also made whole. This pleroma of the Christ is called the third order of powers, another indication that Christ arose after the first and second order powers. In my illustrations, I picture the Christ as a singular light source that embodies the full powers of the Father and the Son. The pleroma of the Christ exists to carry out the redemptive mission of the Christ. And this is the mission of the Christ, as stated in the New Testament, quote, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's John 3.16. The Tripartite Tractate says, quote, the final restoration, however, will take place after the all is manifested in him who is the Son, and after the members of the all have been manifested in who is truly the inconceivable, ineffable, invisible, and ungraspable one, so that the all obtains its redemption. 
For the redemption began to be given among the humans who were in the flesh, with his firstborn and his love, the Son, coming in the flesh. And the angels who were in heaven, having been found worthy of forming a community, a community in him on earth. End quote. The most accurate interpretation of these verses is that what the author of section 3 of the Tripartite Tractate is calling angels is what we have been referring to as eons. Not all eons are angels, and angels is not defined in this book. Eons were literally incarnated within the body of Jesus, forming a community in him, living and dying with him. In the same way, all of our cells work as an integrated community inside each of us, devoted to taking care of the needs of our bodies. Our bodies, like that of Jesus, also incorporate the pleroma of the fullness of God. The pleroma of the Christ on earth brings with it fractals of all the pleromas of the totalities, the fullness, and logos. Christ is the manifestation of the fullnesses of the God above all gods and his Holy Spirit. Christ came as a human being because that was the only way to redeem our half-ethereal, half-material pleromas. Our redemption includes the redemption of the Demiurge because we are merged with it. The redemption of the Demiurge is also the restoration of Logos, as his ego finally bows to his one self and returns home. And the restoration of Logos completes the totality of the all. Quote, Once the redemption had been proclaimed, the perfect human, that is Jesus, immediately received knowledge so as to return swiftly to his unity and that's the pleroma of the Christ, the place from which he came. His limbs, however, needed a school, the likeness of the images and the archetypes, and those would be the eons of the fullness, in the manner of a mirror, until all the limbs of the body of the church would be united in one place and would attain the restoration, that is, the restoration to the fullness, together by appearing as the sound body. End quote. Jesus came in the form of a human so that his third-order powers of redemption could shine their redeeming light on his second-order human body. The rest of us second-order powers are also the limbs of the body of the church in need of gnosis. The final restoration of the all cannot occur until every last one of us repents and turns to the Christ for redemption accepting the third-order powers into our material flesh and our egos. In the meanwhile, those of us who are redeemed and have passed from this material plane enjoy a heavenly realm without sorrow or pain. The only forms banished from the heavenly realm are those attributes of the deficiency that did not exist from the beginning the shadows and phantoms of the imitation that bring nothing but death and destruction. Once the Demiurge is fully redeemed, the shadows and phantasms that form our material world will collapse into chaos and then disappear. These are shadows of the fallen pleroma of Logos. So when the light of Christ comes, the shadows are dispelled and they vanish. 
And there you have the completed cycle of Gnostic cosmology in terms of Pleromus. The place above that we second-order powers dimly remember as paradise and to which our redeemed units of consciousness will return will be located within the Pleroma of Logos, who is within the Pleroma of the Fullness, which is within the Pleroma of the Christ. That eternal place of the Pleroma of Christ is called the third and final economy. The first economy was the Pleroma of Fullness of God. The second economy was a mixed creation down here below of the Pleromas of Logos and his fallen ego, the Demiurge. The third economy will be an ongoing paradise where there is no death or destruction, where peace reigns supreme and there is only cooperation, fellowship, and true love. In paradise, there is nothing but life, and so the grass is always green. The flowers blossom endlessly, and every soul that has ever lived lives happily with their family, pets, and friends. And that is the end of the first appendix of the book, The Simple Explanation of the Gnostic Gospel of the Tripartite Tractate. I hope by now those of you who have followed through this entire simple explanation of the Gnostic Gospel of the Tripartite Tractate, I hope that you are coming to understand this gnosis. I need to know if you're getting this. You know, it's not easy material, and it's quite unfamiliar to us in our common world religions. We don't speak this way because Gnosticism was so thoroughly wiped out, wiped out by the Demiurge. The Demiurge doesn't want us to know this because the Demiurge wants to be God for all time. But at some point in the future, the Demiurge is going to be fully redeemed by the Christ. And the Demiurge will recognize that he is just a part, actually the ego of Logos, and that there is a God above all gods, and it is that God to whom we will return. So send me comments. I really appreciate the people I'm corresponding with, and you can ask me anything or tell me about your journey of Gnosis. I'm always interested in this. If there's anything that needs to be clarified in particular, okay? I love you all. Thank you for spending this time with me here at Gnostic Insights. Onward and upward, and God bless. 